Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Story Box, where I, your host, Jay Phantom, has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the Story Box and hear more about our guest today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Story Box podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. We are on episode 71. I cannot believe we have actually released, or I should say I have released 71 episodes, and I'm so happy and and excited to actually be releasing this one with my next guest, Brooke Entz. Now, if you don't know who Brooke Entz is, she is a resilient, relentless, and real individual. She is a Utah native an elite CrossFit CrossFit athlete who slays PRs with a smile. Brooke was raised by two hardworking and driven parents. She grew up doing gymnastics, softball, swimming, and dance alongside with her three older siblings. She fast forward to 2015 when she placed first in the California regionals and went on to place 14th at the 2015 CrossFit Games in a rookie year, which is still an amazing achievement. She is also a entrepreneur. She has started uh, multiple uh, companies. Uh, you got Enswear, you got Naked Training, which is an app you can have a look at. She's got a protein line as well. She's a huge creative individual too. You can also see Brooke in Justice League and the hit film Wonder Woman. She plays one of the Amazonian warriors, which is still pretty cool. She has built an amazing reputation on on YouTube and social media. Uh, She's got a 1.4 million following base on Instagram alone, and her subscriber base on on YouTube is uh, in the 300,000 mark, and she's got millions of views on pretty much all her videos. Brooke and I actually get really deep in this conversation. And and that's what I really, really enjoyed about this uh, is the fact that Brooke was actually really vulnerable and shared some things in this conversation that I know you guys are going to resonate with and feel feel challenged and inspired by, which I I ended up leaving the conversation like I've got to do this again uh, with with Brooke. This is that was a great conversation. So with that being said, my friends, I need you to do me a huge favor. Like I say in the last couple of episodes, this is 71, episode 71. So if you do get something from this episode, please leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe there too. Uh, so don't leave there without subscribing. <laughs> you can uh, listen to more. 
Uh, also on YouTube, you can uh, watch this full interview in the flesh uh, if you want to do that. So it's pretty cool. So I think that's it. Uh, you guys know what time it is. It's time to plunge into the story box and hear Brooke Ensor's story. For me, and when I was competing, I mean, I rarely, I'm the worst supplementer. <laughs> I am hands down, like even at my house, like if I have, if I'm trying to like, you know, take my vitamins or whatever, mm. if I don't have them sitting on my counter where I see them every day, yeah, I don't, I don't take them. Same here. And yeah. It's like, uh, it's, it's the worst. And then when it came to like protein, I never drank protein because I would rather eat it because I was a hungry girl. Mm. And I like, I'm like, I didn't want to drink a protein shake and then still be hungry and be like, what do I do? Yes. It's like the process <laughs> of know? actually chewing and enjoying the yeah. meal rather than just sculling it and then filling your body up. I mean, there's no enjoyment in that. <laughs> that's yeah, what, that's it depends, what I see. Right. Cause yeah. a lot of people that are in, you know, like bodybuilding is a crazy, you know, so, I mean, when it comes to food, it's just a lot different than like being a high performance athlete. Yeah. You know, you gotta be, it's like, I feel like you just have to be more restrictive. Um, high performance athletes you do too, but, uh, you have to, energy need energy so you're yeah. going to definitely eat a little bit more volume or something than someone who is just you know doing bodybuilding um i just i know people who either they're older and as we get older we need more protein mm-hmm. um especially as women because women already girls like we already are less sensitive like our body is less sensitive to protein than men are so really? as we get yeah. older, we need more protein as we, both men and women. Um, and you end up when they start, fo- women start focusing on their diet and trying to like, you know, you're training hard and you got to focus on your diet because just to retain muscle mass in your, like, you know, later years is very, very tough mm. unless it's, you're genetically gifted. Like my mother, um, <laughs> you know, and at that point, maybe you're needing to eat, you're needing to take in way more protein than you really can eat. Mm. So at that point, protein drinks are fantastic. Um, and then for me, I always did do protein more so when I was traveling Mm. because it's like an easy way to make sure I get in what I need. Uh, or if you're just, I'm super busy and I'm like so much time's passing by and I haven't eaten, Mm. I can drink a quick protein shake and get something in my system and it's better than not having anything at all. So that's probably more where I use it. I probably drink more protein now that I'm not training super hard for like the CrossFit games because I mean, I'm still hungry, but like I'm less hungry. (laughs) So can you give me a picture of what you would actually eat compared to, okay, so you're in the CrossFit games, you're training for them. What would you need to refuel your body with? And then compare that to now, are you still eating a similar amount? Because I know you you probably still train quite a bit. So can can you paint a picture? Of what that's yeah. Like. So when I was training full time, and when I say that, I mean six days a week, uh, anywhere from three to four hours a day. Um, Jeez. You know, it could be, and a lot of that though is some some days it was like I was in the gym two times a day, so I would break up my session. So it ended up being like four or five hours, but really it's like I'd go and do a lifting session, and then you have to take into account this too. Like you're not just like going a hundred percent the whole time because you have, 
built-in rest. You're doing different sets. Mm. You got to warm up. You know, there's a lot of this downtime and when the, the amount of time you're actually just training at a high intensity is a lot shorter than what your whole training day looks like. And that's just because you do a lot of skill work. You'll do some lifting stuff. Um, you know, accessory work, and then you'll maybe do some conditioning that might you know, look a, a lot more intense than anything else. Um, I basically ate the same thing almost every day. So when I competed, I rarely drank alcohol. Mm. Um, and that was a big, a big reason was not because I was like, <laughs> it's bad for me. Um, <laughs> because I was hungry. Like I just didn't, I did not want to, cause you can like, when you start looking at how do we teach someone to eat in a way that is allows them to still enjoy life. It's like, what are the things that, what's your goal? Okay. Um, what are your non-negotiables? All right. Now, what are the things, um, you just, like, what's your, how old are you? Where are you from? Do you have any restrictions? Like you kind of figure all these things out. And for me, I was like, it's not worth like those calories in one drink, like it's mm. not worth that. Like I need to eat those calories. <laughs> I'm too hungry, mm. you know? And, um, it was never an option for me to like eat more than what I was supposed to. Mm. And I was a lot, I mean, I'm still pretty particular, um, about my diet, but when I was competing, I was for sure a little crazy. Yeah. And I think everyone really kind of is. And anyone competing at the highest level of their sport, you are. You are very specific and adamant about your training schedule. You're um, you know, trying to sleep, um, what you're eating, and all those things. So I would basically have... Um, I would do like six egg whites in the morning. Uh, sometimes I would chop up some vegetables in there. And sometimes do like a piece of toast. I would never do egg yolks because I liked bacon. So <laughs> I, for me, I ate a high carb, low fat diet. Nice. I yep. perform better on that. Most I, I, typically like high performance athletes do perform better getting their energy from carb source than fat. Yep. Um, obviously every, a lot of people are different. Uh, for me, I don't digest fat super well. So, and maybe I did that to myself from not eating it for a long time, mm. but I also look and feel better in my body when I am eating a little bit lower fat. I notice I get a little bit more like puffy or swollen. Um, and that could also just be lack of control of peanut butter. You know, I, <laughs> yep. it's really, it's really easy to overdo it. Like it's Tell really easy that. to overdo fat. Yep. So I would do bacon and no egg white or no egg yolks. Um, if I put cheese in my eggs, it was like feta cheese, like something that was super flavorful, but you didn't need a lot of it to add the flavor. Mm. I did a lot of, uh, you know, chicken and vegetables and steak. And I would do a lot of salads and I would do a lot of like taco type bowls and salads. Everything was like in a bowl or, and I would put a lot of stuff on lettuce if I was really hungry and I needed volume. Mm. Um, I would make sandwiches on like rice cakes. Yep. Yeah. And I would, I always ate Greek yogurt at nighttime. Okay. It was like a treat for me, a bowl of Greek yogurt with like peanut butter or cut up berries or something like that in there or cereal. 
and I would eat that at night. It would help me get more protein in. And mm. also I always want, I always like having something kind of sweet at the end of the day. Mm. So how, um, how many calories would that have been? I think that the most I've ever, I, the most I had been prescribed <laughs> was I was consistently eating around probably under nine, probably around 1800. Oh, that's not that, that's not that much actually. For no, a high yes. Like 18, 1850. So here's the thing. Uh, and then we would do, uh, we would do like, um, refeed days. So some mm. days I would have high carb and I remember I was training for, I was kind of, I'm kind of, my old coach used to say I was like an outlier with my nutrition. Um, I didn't need that much, mm. you know? And I was like, man, I wish, I wish I needed it. Like, I wish I needed more calories <laughs> and that I could eat it and not like gain weight that I don't want. Mm. Um, when I was training for 20, 17, maybe 17 before I found out I was going to have a spinal fusion. Mm. Um, I remember going into it. I was working with a new nutrition coach and like, and might I add, like at this point I've been following, like I've been doing my diet for years. So I wasn't having a nutritionist because I didn't know what I was doing or I didn't know what I should do. Uh, I had someone because it helped me be accountable, but it also it let me take that extra stress off myself and say, you handle it and don't fuck it up. <laughs> you know, I remember telling her, I was like, okay. Cause she said, she's like, Brooke, she goes, you cannot, you cannot go to the CrossFit games and not, and not be eating at least 2000 calories a day. Mm. And I was like, why? <laughs> mm. I did it in 2015, you know? And she's like, you can't, she's like, you, you cannot, you, you need to be eating at least that everyone else is eating at least that you need to be eating at least that. And I said, all right. And it was, uh, my friend, Adi, um, mm. she owns working against gravity. And I said, all right, Adi, I, I will do that. I will do whatever you tell me to. I'll try it. Mm. I'll do it. I'll suck it up, you know? And like through a lot of this too, um, I had a severe fear of getting fat, mm. like to be completely frank. And I think it was just, you know, years of being insecure and like growing up and in college. And like when I was young, like year of just being so insecure uh, about my body. Mm. And at these, in these years of like competing, I wasn't insecure about my muscle size all the time, you know, depending on which kind of people I was around made me feel a little bit more self-conscious, but it was just like a deeply rooted insecurity that I mm. never really had dealt with, you know? And, um, where did that come from? Do you think, you know, I think just being, I, <sighs> was teased a lot when I was really young because of how muscular I was. Mm. Was that so natural I muscle? Kinda, like, hmm? Was that natural muscle? Oh yeah. Mm. Like from like a young age. Wow. Like elementary school. So people didn't understand you for the way you looked. No. So therefore they teased you. Wow. And like middle school, I remember like calling my mom crying at school, like before I could drive. Cause like the boys might, would just, 
they would just laugh or tease me because my, I had bigger biceps than them. Like I had mm-hmm. bigger arms and like my, my mom, like if you see my, I, you can probably, if you go on my Instagram, scroll down. And I recently photo, posted a photo of my mom for mother's day. And we just did a photo shoot for new swimsuits that ends were launched. And my mom looks smoking hot. <laughs> and I'm like, and I've said to people too, I'm like, you want to, you want to call me out and like try and say that I use a bunch of PEDs and, and, and I'm just lying to everyone. I'm like, please mm. take a look at my mother or like all of my siblings competed in their sport at the, at like the highest level they could when they were in high school. Mm. Um, my sister swam on the junior Olympic team. Both my parents were athletes. And like, when I was really young, I was just teased a lot. And so I think that, you know, being young, um, and I danced, Mm. you know, I, in college, like in college, I knew, I knew exactly what dance companies I could dance for. And I knew all of the ones I never could strictly because of how I looked, you know, and Mm. it's kind of something where until I had found CrossFit, um, and even like when I was able to sort of like change the way I felt, you know, and a years of working on trying to rewire the way I naturally thought about myself. Mm. Um, there were times when I felt great and there were times when I'd feel kind of crappy. And, but it was, it was, um, when I found CrossFit, it was a place where it was like celebrated to like be strong yeah, and not just like look good and like look like you're in shape, but like to like, like put up or shut up kind of, you know, and like mm. perform. And it was, it was celebrated and being a female was celebrated by, you know, men and women and girls and boys. And it just was, that was kind of the start of being able to sort of change my mindset around, mm. um, how I looked, but I told the D I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and I said, but I swear to God, if you make me fat, you have to fix this. <laughs> That's what I told her. I was like, dude, if I get fat, you, this is on you. You make me fat. (laughs) And listen, I was, uh, in 2017, right before Christmas. So right before the 28th, let me think. 2016, right before Christmas, because it was the 2017 season, right? Mm. I was probably like right now I'm weighing hundred and. I weigh 149 pounds. What is that in kilos? Uh, no clue. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Anyone else who's listening, you can do the math. Yeah. Um, years prior, I always floated between, I mean, not much, not far off from where I am. It was, I was like 153, 156, 150, you know, like right there. Mm. And I would just kind of, I'd be like 152 and I'd be like 158 and I'd be like 150 and I'd be like 158 and it would just like, you know, ebb and flows. And around that time, I think I was probably sitting more regularly, regularly between like 156 and 160, Mm. but I was the strongest I had ever been. Uh, I power snatched 195. I was consistently snatching, uh, 205. I was clean and jerking. Um, 260, I squat cleaned, uh, I squat cleaned 265. Um, I mean, I just, 
I was super strong, you know, mm-hmm. and there was time in there where I kept having to figure this out with like my, my diet and my, my weight. Um, I knew I was eating right, you know, and I think just all the stress too, and like being a female and, mm-hmm. and I was really strong and I had deeply rooted insecurities about like being a really built girl. And so I liked trying to stay a little bit on like the leaner side because it just made me feel a little bit like tighter. You know, Mm -hmm. if I was a little bit like if I was bloated or a little bit, a few pounds heavier than what I preferred, I just felt uncomfortable in my clothes. And that was like, I've actually never told any, I've only, I've told very many people. this. (laughs) Uh, and what one of my coaches would tell me is he'd say, Brooke, um, if you were 160 pounds, Mm -hmm. 165, but you won the CrossFit games. Would your weight matter? That's a good question. And I said, and I said, no, mm. you know, and, but something that not only I already kind of knew, but going into that 2017 season, even though I ended up having a spinal fusion or this is 2016. Mm. Yeah. 2016. Um, I kind of already knew this, but I wanted to give my coach, I was very committed to, I was going to believe everything you said. I'm not going to challenge you. Mm. If it doesn't work, it's on you. And then we adjust for the next year. What mm. I'm not going to do is tell you that you're wrong. Like I, you're my coach for a reason. I'm not my own coach. You you know? and, and, yeah. But what was learned is me as a competitor, if I feel good, I will perform better any day mm. than if I feel bad. So if there's any amount of a little like uncomfortable, you know, with, I don't know how my, my pants fit or mm-hmm. I just like, if there's any sort of like little personal uncomfortableness happening, um, it is worth me eating less, which we already know that I don't necessarily, I'm not someone who needs a ton of fuel to, for me to perform. Mm. Um, my body uses it very efficiently. I don't know. Um, but if I can feel good, I will perform up. I yeah. compete up and I put on a show, mm. you know, and, and, uh, yeah. So how often did you feel good within yourself to go out there and actually perform? What was the ratio? Um, I don't think that there has been, I think maybe I'm like, how many competitions have I done? Uh, <laughs> I've only ever felt pretty like un- kind of uncomfortable, um, like one year at regionals. Mm. And was that because you weren't, you were eating more or was it because... No, you you know, I think that there was, I think that there was, uh, there was two years at regionals that were really hard for me Mm -hmm. and it didn't really necessarily have a lot to do with if I thought that I was like the weight I wanted to be, or if it was that I was eating too much and I felt uncomfortable. I think that it was this, um, 2015, I went to one, one, my region went to the games and then ended up doing wonder woman. Mm -hmm. I, wasn't even going to do it because I was really worried about it disrupting my training and me letting my coaches down that like making my coaches proud matters like the most to me. 
you know? Um, and I did it and I tried to keep this training up while I was in Europe and it was really hard. I ended up getting really, really bad tendonitis in my knee. I could not even sit down on the toilet. Uh, they stopped me from going below parallel for, it was six weeks before regionals in 2016. And I also came home with E. coli. (laughs) Oh, what? So I flew home and I think our regional was like three weeks after I got home and Mm. I was really sick for a while, you know? So I just had a lot of things against me. I was really scared to go to regionals, but I was like, even then I was like, you know what? I 100% was at that time coming out of 2015, going into 2016. I was like, I was, if not the strongest girl in the field, Mm. one of like the top three, you know, I was strong. I was fit. And I had just, it's like everything that I wasn't able to do while I was over there. I just, I practiced like um, like mental training. Like Mm. I, I, no one else is preparing like me. This is not the way to prepare, but I'm making it work because of my future and because of the opportunity. And I am going to be more mentally tough and, and I know how to suffer Mm. and, and, and I can, I can thrive when I'm suffering you know, and I was just like, I would talk to myself like this all the time and regionals came and I had a great, I had a great regional, you know, um, went into the final event. I was, there was like three or four of us tied to be able to go to the games. And there were two girls I needed to beat. Uh, I took second in this event. I, I, it was a great event for me. It was the thruster rope climb and I needed to be Jamie Hagia and someone else. I beat the other girl, but Jamie Nagia won that event and I took second, you know? So I was like this close to qualifying for the games 2016. And I just got ripped apart online, you know, some like just awful, awful things said about me. And it was like, it was very hard because it wasn't just attacking like what I'm used to. It wasn't like attacking me because of like, Oh, I bet she has a, (laughs) she probably has a a dick or Mm. she's, you know, she does steroids or she's, she's a, she looks like a dude or, you know, like all these things. It's like, you couldn't surprise me with that, but Mm. all of a sudden it was people commenting on like, and I mean, I'm sure it's probably like a very small group of trolls that like there, someone is paying them Mm. to, (laughs) to do this, but it didn't matter. Like I already was trying to deal with, you know, okay, it's okay. I didn't qualify. Um, I already knew this would be a possibility, which is exactly why I wanted to do the movie, Mm. you know, and, and I was ready to move on. And then I saw all these comments and it was just, it just crushed me. And it was because I hadn't realized that I had wrapped my identity, um, so much around being a CrossFit games athlete Mm. that without that, like I never fully understood that I actually held value for people. If I, like, if like aside from like being a games athlete, yeah, you know, like I really, I really didn't understand that. And so it, it was, it was a good thing to go through, mm. you know, it sucked and it was hard and like made, made not a lot of sense to anyone who cared about me around mm. me. Um, and it was like a hard summer, but I, you know, I got through it and then was like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to train. I'm going to be so fit. I'm going to be so strong. And 
Um, that's when I was getting ready for 2017 season. And it was like, bam, spinal fusion, mm. <laughs> you know, and that was like, uh, completely out of my control. It was unbelievably devastating. Mm. I, yeah, it, I just broke my heart. But luckily I had kind of gone through this like rough sort of transformative experience the year like, right before, because now I was in a little bit better, like mentally strong state, emotionally stable state to be able to handle this mm. and get through it. And, um, had my, had my spine fused, uh, the recovery from that was just crazy. I was terrified to do the open. I somehow qualified for regionals. And then regionals that year was one where, you know, even the year before, it was like, when I'm not feeling like really good, maybe because I'm coming back from injury and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to be the athlete that I was. And and it's not my, it's like not my fault. Like I can't, you know, I, I'm doing everything I can to get back. I'm training. I'm, I'm going to the gym. Like there's no, it's not that I'm not doing enough. It's that I'm doing what I, I am, but this is just where I'm at in my recovery. And that's, that's all I have, you know? And, mm. But in that is this, it's hard when you remember the athlete you were, but you have to accept the fact that you're never going to be that athlete again. And that's okay. You know, but in the middle of competition or in the middle of training and in the, in the middle of like trying to do something that used to be so easy for you. And now you can like barely do it is it's like a mental toughness. Uh, it's, it's very hard to have those realizations like so much. And so let's, we'll just talk about that year at regionals when I have these other things against me, and I'm just like a little bit nervous or stressed about it. Mm. If at then that point on top of that, I'm not feeling a hundred percent and just about like, you know, <laughs> my hair day that day or like how I look or how I feel or my weight or all these things. It's like really, it, you know, it can start to feel a little bit like the, the, the walls feel like they're kind of caving in. Mm. But also I understand that it's really, it's kind of ridiculous for those things to even be bothering me because they don't matter. Mm. But it's when once things start, one thing starts to like really, you know, challenge your, your, That's uh, all it takes sometimes. your, your thoughts or your emotions. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like a lot easier for the other things that you like over, over the years I've, I've learned and practiced ways of like, even just like self-talk of how I can handle or react to my own thoughts when they're getting a little bit like crazy, <laughs> you know, like they don't make sense and they would make Amen. no sense to anyone if I said them to them, mm. but I just question them. And it's just because we're a little bit harder on ourselves, mm. you know, and, but I've created, I've like, I've dealt with it. I've, um, had like realization. I've actually talked about these things and these thoughts with friends and I've been able to just get better at handling them faster, you know, and like getting past them faster. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, at, at regionals that year, it was like, man, uh, <laughs> it was so hard. And it was also one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had because mm -hmm. it was terrifying. And I didn't even recognize this until a bunch of people told me after the fact, 
but I was in the first heat every workout, wow. you know, I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't, I was like, I swore. I was like, I'm not going to win, but I don't want to come in last place. And I don't think I did come in last place, but, um, everyone told me after like people that were working the event and like my mom and my, my family that the first heat was the loudest, like the, the fans were the, the loudest in my heat than they were in any other heat. Mm. And I could feel it too, because I could like the, you know, the amount of people that would like gather around where my lane was and just like screaming for me, you know, and that was actually the first time that I, you know, if you look at your Instagram and you see like, Oh, this person has a million followers. Oh, this person has this many. Um, for me, it's really easy to like, not fully understand what that means. You know, especially if you're someone like I will, I a hundred percent will be honest and say this, like, I'm, I, I don't think I'm that cool. Mm. You know, like I know I'm a cool person, but like, uh, I'm not the type to like walk around and, and act differently because I have 1.4 million followers. You know, it's like, mm. it's just a number on a screen, but until you actually, and if we're talking about it, like, which is like just being able to mean something to someone or, you know, for me at that time, it was like, me being willing to share the story of like what I had been going through and being as vulnerable as possible, regardless of the outcome. Um, it was the first time that I really felt what, what, like what 1 million followers kind of felt like, yeah. you know, to actually have them there where I could hear them and feel their support in real life and not just on a phone. It was a pretty incredible experience. Mm. Yeah. So you found it hard to be vulnerable now nowadays, having gone through so much stuff, so much pain, so much suffering, you could you could say, have you found it is it easier to be more vulnerable or is it harder to be vulnerable? Um it's uh it's easier for me. Um, and I don't think it's easier because I've gone through so much stuff. I think it's easier because there's probably lots of people who have, who go through a lot, but they still just can't open up. Right. Yeah. For good reason. Mm. You know, it's like, you're basically, if we're just talking about like being vulnerable to like your fans or followers or listeners or supporters, you're legitimately opening up your, your personal trials, tribulations, um, you know, memories, family, uh, hard experiences, ups and downs, and you're just like being vulnerable and you have no idea mm. how they will respond to you. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. literally, you're saying, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Mm. And I've had to do that so many times where I was so, I'll give you one example. Uh, mm. after my spinal fusion, I couldn't work out for a very long time. <laughs> mm. Right. And then even when I started being able to do some movement, I couldn't do very much. I couldn't do anything overhead. I could barely do anything that would get my heart rate up. Right. It was like eight weeks of nothing. And then, it, then from there, it was like being really careful. I had my surgery March 31st. Mm. I wasn't back to like training until September. I did my first handstand in October, you know, like it was, 
really hard. And I remember that summer I was in, you know, I was in a neck brace and I hadn't been training and I was at a friend's wedding. And, um, up to this point, I had felt a little bit, like I still kind of felt like if I'm not lean and if I don't look like the, like, like, like a fitness girl, Mm. like that's what people kind of expect of me. You know, and again, these are all like personal thoughts. Like you're like, but that's not why people expect from you. But it's like, mm-hmm. these are just ideas that in my head that I'm like, I question or I wonder. And we all have them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I, I remember I had, there was a photo of me and I was in a bathing suit. We were there in Louisiana for my friend's wedding and I was eating watermelon and I didn't have my neck brace on and I was going to post this photo on Instagram. And I remember this wasn't for anyone else. It was for myself. And it was kind of a moment where I had this fear that if I didn't look a certain way or I didn't make it back to the CrossFit games, or if I didn't, you know, all these things, like people really wouldn't love me anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is a moment where it was like, I was like, well, this is in fact what I look like, you know, this is me. Um, can't change it. Like this is who I am. So I remember I, in my, like when I posted that photo, I didn't like put some sobby ass like description on it. You know, I didn't like tell like share my deep feelings. I don't believe I did anyways. I, I highly doubt I did. Um, but to me it was like, this is me. Mm. If you don't like, this is me right now. And if in fact you're only here because you expect me to look, uh, whatever you think is the proper way for me to look, I guess, goodbye, you know? Um, and it's, and and we'll just, we'll just do this right now. Mm. I'm not going to, I mean, it's like, I'm not going to post things. I'm not going to pretend to be someone else, uh, just because I'm trying to get a follow. Like, I don't give a shit, Mm. you know, like, obviously I want more followers. I just want to build a brand and have more influence, not only because I want to help people, but also, I want to continue to have my my career last longer and mean more to more people, you know? But there's moments where I post something and people are like, unfollow. And I'm like, hey, bye. I mean, I'm not going to force you to like me, no. <laughs> you know? But that was a moment where I was insecure and I, I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. But I really, I just like, came to terms. I was like, you know what? I need to just post something like this because I need to prove, I need to prove it to myself that I, I have way more value than that. Mm. It's cause like I knew I did, but there's still like little things that like you feel like, you know, I think it would happen to anyone who in a way was, you know, felt like they were celebrated for a few things. And then some of those things weren't really there anymore, you know, mm. whether it's cause you are older or, you're injured or you're, you had these huge life changes. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was almost like a, uh, it was like a very freeing thing for me. Cause it was like, this is me. Can imagine. You don't have to like me. Yeah. You can, you can stick around, you can say goodbye and whatever happens, happens, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, it was, I think doing things like that has, is what is, is what makes it, easier for me to be vulnerable. Mm. You know what I mean? Like those moments where now it's like, I've, I've gone through so much on a public platform that I don't think there's much I could do 
that I would really feel shameful to like tell you. <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> Oprah Gens, mm. she, uh, you know, didn't make it to the games after she won her region. I dealt with that and all the people calling me like, oh, she's washed up. Oh, it was a fluke. She won. It's mm. like, no, dude. I did my best. I didn't train the way that everyone else was. And I had E. coli. <laughs> <laughs> We're lucky. I didn't like shit my pants. On the yeah. conversation floor. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I, I think when people sort of look at a person that's got over one point something million followers on, on Instagram, they expect you to be a certain way because yeah. you built, you built this kind of like reputation, especially in the CrossFit games as well. You're known for a certain part of, of your life almost and people like literally expect you just to post about that stuff not just about yeah. you and you know i've, I've and what's so funny that. though is they expect it but at the same time if you do it they're like oh that's all you post yes so it's like you, you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't so yep. what what do you do you do you and then if they don't like it then they can get lost that's that's yep. the way i look at it nowadays whereas before I was very much the same, you know, all these insecurities, you know, being a guy, you know, having to, you know, post about certain things. Uh, I was always the one, you know, inspirational, wanting to help people at the same time. So post these inspirational photos and, you know, it was it was a point because I was in CrossFit in 2016 as well and I wanted to get to my – the fittest I've ever been was in 2016 strong you know had the the APAC, you know whole thing going yeah and i remember posting a video of me doing muscle ups bar muscle ups and that everyone's commenting and i felt so good with all the comments saying you're so strong jay you got you so much muscle you're looking ripped you're looking jacked and therefore all, all my all my friends especially the girls too that just made me feel like this sense of almost security but it was on uh -huh. on a, a social media platform it wasn't in real life no one would say it mm -hmm. to me in real life. It'd always be online. And I thought, why am I putting my my own worth, my own value in something that is on a screen that's easy for people to hide behind their real true thoughts? Then why don't you tell me that in person where it's actually got I, some substance? There was for a while I really wanted to do like a catfish type, um, uh, not catfish, like catch the predator. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Type of a show. I was like, you know, I would love to just like find people that have said these awful things and just show up at their, at like wherever and just, just ask them mm. to say it to my face. Like, I'm not going to react at all. I just want you to see if you feel the same way when you actually are talking to me in real life. Yes. Yeah. I like, like it idea. wouldn't even be this thing that's like we're gonna fight. <laughs> you just want to say, I just want you to do me a favor. I just want you to do me a favor and like respect me a little bit, um, and say it to my face. Mm. I think oftentimes it it's more on them than it is on you. Like it's a reflection of how they feel about themselves when they say stuff about that. It either means that they're jealous. It either means that they have very low self worth which is sad when you think about it, that they've got to stoop that low to try and think that they're cool by attacking somebody else and for what they're doing. Like that's zero respect. Or, yeah. But in saying that, it's like you need help more than I do. <laughs> 
So, yeah. you know, it, it's, you know, internet, internet trolls are going to be there. But you, you being able to build the resilience and the determination to get over it, that shows your character more than it does theirs. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just don't, don't be afraid of that, which, which is you're an inspiration, Brooke. And I've been, I've been following your journey since I think 2017, I believe it was. And then I heard about, because they'd filmed on CrossFit, they had filmed the, the day in the life thing for your, for your journey. And I just I was curious about your mentality because you seem like this very, very strong woman mentally and you seem like this, this woman that, you know, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to give my best and stuff everybody else. I'm just going to go there and do it, which is very, it's very inspiring for a lot of, a lot of people, guys especially. Uh, it was for me because I'd be like, well, you can do this. I can't do that. <laughs> like that's that's encouraging me to go out there and, and be a better version of myself. So I just want to appreciate you and, and honor you for that, Brooke, as well. Um, I also want to ask as well, because I am mindful of your time. I'm sorry. You got a dog One too. Second, my, dog, my dog's going wild. Hey, Eric, I'm just on a podcast. Sorry. Okay. All good. All good. <laughs> So I have to ask as well, what is your biggest fear right now? You know, um, okay, actually I have something. And I mean, I could probably think of many things to be honest. Like if it was like, what's your biggest fear in uh, thinking about your business? What's your biggest fear this but my most recent thing that i have like uh worried about without like not even talking about like um okay i'm just (laughs) just gonna spit it out so uh one of my biggest things that has been bothering me is like um and you could call it a fear is me i i am i need to be home more like with my family. Mm. So I live in California, my family's in Utah and I've just been, I've had a really hard, uh, about last like year and a half. Mm. So I am, I mean, it's very public, but I've been going through a divorce for a very long time Mm. and it's just been like a really, really rough year. So, you know, a lot of situational depression, and, uh, just like, I'm, like I'm doing a lot better where finally there's a lie at the end of the tunnel, mm. but, um, I'm just like wake up and I'm just, I'm homesick a lot. And I, I just know that I need to be around my family more. Um, and a lot of that kind of ties into the fact that my biggest fear growing up, like absolute biggest fear was my parents getting old. Wow. And like my parents getting old and my parents like becoming grandparents and my parents dying. Mm-hmm. And I think that like my dad just retired and my sisters, my, my siblings all have kids and like, they're so great. And every time I get home, they're just bigger, you know, and doing more cool stuff. And I mean, I obviously can't put my life and career and stuff on hold because I'm so terrified of losing time with my family but I do know that it like needs to be a bit more of a priority. Mm. 
and like, and finding time in that because I don't, you know, I don't care how successful I could be or how much money I could make or, I mean, I obviously care about how many people I can help, but even then, if it comes at the cost of, of losing years and months and time and memories with my, my parents and my, my family, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So I think I just, the older I get and the more hard times I go through and the more just life I experience, the more I'm just brought back to like, you just need your mom mm-hmm. <laughs> and your dad and your brother your sisters and the people that, you know, have been there and they've gone through ups and downs of their own and they've seen you go through yours and they love you. Like no questions asked would be there at the drop of a hat to do anything that you needed. And, uh, and the reason I can't just live in Utah is because I have a few of those same people here in California. Gina, my best friend would literally kill me (laughs) if I was, if I told her I was moving and there's no way. So the plan is to split my time, which I was trying to do right before like quarantine happened here. I was going to start trying to do uh, like two months, two weeks here, two weeks there. And like give or take, depending on if I have an event or I have to travel somewhere or something like that Mm. comes up. But then I think um, that fear started to sink in a lot more because I was spending a lot of time by myself. Mm. And not able to like go anywhere or like interact with people. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of like time to like really like think about, um, I guess how bummed I really was to like be alone and not, and, and it's not like it would have made me feel better to have like people in my house. No, it's, it's, uh, I wanted to like have this time to be with my family. I I thought it was so cool for people that, you know, people that had little kids. And even though I don't envy the idea of like being quarantined, working from home with your significant other and all your kids and teaching homeschool, like I don't envy that at all, but pretty cool. You know, I grew up where we were all super busy and my dad and my mom both worked, Mm. you know, And so the, the fact that like, you've got these families either, maybe they have really, really little kids and both parents get to like watch their baby, like have a bunch of firsts, which normally it's hard for that to happen. Cause like either one person has to be working a bit more than the other, or maybe they both do and they have like a a nanny or, you know, it just, there were a lot of positives in the shelter in place quarantine. And I wasn't necessarily getting to have any of those for myself. Mm. <laughs> so it was hard. Have but, you, have you changed? Or have you noticed that you've changed since the divorce? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, I am. <laughs> I have like a, I don't like love to talk about it. I think maybe as more time goes on, I would talk about it, but honestly, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting, there was a period of time, a long period of time where I was just really depressed. (laughs) So it's kind of hard. Like that wouldn't be like, that was a, that was a change, but it wasn't like the positive change. I think that I am now, a hundred percent of the time, the person that I've always been and that I always wanted to be, which is someone who 
is very relaxed mm. and a little bit more like carefree, low maintenance. I mean, I was never high maintenance, but like for sure, low maintenance. And also just really, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I self-reflect a lot and I mm. used to do that too, but at this point, self-reflection, um, having gone through so many ups and downs and those things that were like, you know, you had to break down all these walls to learn from the experience. I've done all of that. So now like when I self-reflect, I just, you know, I'm vulnerable and I don't really have a lot of shame, mm, That's good. <laughs> you know, mm. take responsibility and, you know, uh, move on. And, um, I am finding that as time goes on, it's a lot easier for me to be happy. Yeah. You know, there was a period of time where, I mean, I wasn't used to like being dealing with like situational depression. That was very new for me. Mm. Um, it was very debilitating. It was really hard. You know, Been my there. dad would like call me and FaceTime me and like try and force me to call my friends and go to a friend's house. <laughs> um, but there was, it was like, part of that was like, I just want, you know, I would, I would, I would just want to be like happy so badly. And, but I just couldn't, and I just wasn't. And it was like taking way too much effort to like get excited about things, Yeah, you know? And if I was around certain people, like like my best friend, Gina or Daniel, or if I was like with my family, like, or my buddy, like my business partner and like really good friend, Jacob Hutton, his wife, Sunny, like it was easier for me to find that because not only did they bring that out in me, but I'm around a bunch of people who like know me, Yeah, you know? And, um, I wasn't so, like just surrounded by people that just don't know me at all, but make assumptions and, and make opinions about a complete stranger because mm. they feel like they can, you know, it's like now, you know, dealing with trolls online, dealing with people creating Reddit pages about me and like just crazy stuff, you know? And so I had a really, really hard year, but and even when it was like the hardest, Gina would just say to me, because I, she went through a divorce and I was there for her when she went through a lot of that. And she would just tell me, she's like, she's like, babe, it, it's just going to just let time go. Like it's going to take time, yep. you know? And so I just be having like the worst day. And I just be like, I just want some more time to pass. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm just trying to hang on and eventually more time will pass and it's going to work out and it'll be okay. Yeah. But I've been there last year, so I know I know the feeling of losing someone yeah. that, is, that is close to you. It hurts. And I've been in a situation where you just want time to just go as quickly as possible because mm -hmm. it sucks. You know, yeah. you, you feel like you're not loved anymore. You feel like the whole world has come crushing down on your shoulders and you feel kind of feel like everyone's against you in a way. Um, but, you know, time, time heals. Like that's the only way to sort of describe it. And it took me months to heal. And, yeah. you know, you still you still think about it in the back of your mind, but it's a different sort of thought to what it was before. And that's what I appreciate about life is that no matter how tough the situation is, when time has gone past, you can reflect on it and say, well, what did I learn from it? How can I improve? Yep. How am I better? You know, my, my dad, when it was like, that was just, you know, my world was, had just, 
come crashing down. <laughs> um, my dad just said to me, I was FaceTiming him and he just said, you know, babe, he said, you, you're just going through life like everybody else. And the only difference is, is you have a million people with their eyes on you. Yep. You know, and, and as thing too, is like, as time went on, some of my absolute people, people that have become my very close friends, people that in their industry, in the fitness world, um, the fitness world is very broad. So this will not, you know, uh, just, just friends that like, you would never, you think that their life is just perfect. Mm. You know, even I would like, you know, opening up to them and then them opening up to me about things that are, they're going through. And I was just, you know, it was just like a big realization that was like, you know what, this is life and everyone goes through it, no matter how perfect you think things are. And that's okay. You know, sometimes things don't work out, but we only learn that from trying. Mm. And for anyone to think that things are just going to be perfect because they are, it's like, we take risks on a lot of things and we do our best and, you know, and sometimes it's, it's really sad for a while, Mm. but it gets better with time. And, um, I truly believe too, that I just, I, I just want to, I just want to help so many people, mm-hmm. whether it's like physically or emotionally, whether that's from me actually having a conversation with them or it's from me being vulnerable, vulnerable, sharing my ups and downs, my downs and, and that helping them. And I know that that does that. And that's another reason why I just do it, mm. you know, and I kind of think, you know, if I just do that and I continue to self-reflect and, and work on being better and learning from mistakes, but also forgiving myself for, you know, mistakes or whether that's like business, you know, deals or, um, you know, letting, like letting my schedule slip because I have like just all kinds of things. It's like, I all you can do is your best. And if you're willing to accept when you've messed up and be able to look at it and be like, okay, you know, cause my dad taught me this when I was very young and this is exactly how I problem solve. Mm. You can't go back and change it, nah. you know? So, but it's also not going to benefit you to just beat yourself, yourself up over it or allow anyone around you to just keep reminding you what a piece of shit you are. Mm. You know, it's like, all you can do is this. I, I, I remember making mistakes when I was growing up. My dad, my dad would say, okay, what are you going to do different? Mm. It's not going to help. Like you might as well stop crying, quit your crying. You know, it's, you've already done it. It's already happened but how, what can we learn and what are you going to do different next time? Mm. And I've attacked yeah. things that way my whole life, you know, and it's, mm. I think it's a, for the most part, it's a, it's a great way to help you get through things that feel like you just can't come back from it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's in regards to like the divorce, um, 
it's, it's so much better for me. And I've had a really, really rough year and a half, but, um, I just know by people that have come into my life, friends, opportunities, um, it is getting better and I will start to feel better. And yeah, I just, you know, there was a period of time where it was like, I was just tired. It's like, I knew that I had so much to do, but I was so like emotionally drained that I just couldn't do it. Mm. You know, and that was probably the most frustrating part because I wanted to feel that hustle and drive, but I had nothing there. But Mm. I also had a great support team system. Um, all the companies I worked with partners that were like there for me, Mm. you know, and there wasn't like this extra stress on me from, you know, sponsors or, um, companies or things like that. It was, it was, it was really wonderful to have a lot of people that were just there to, you know, help me get to the other side, Mm. (laughs) no matter how long it took. Yeah. So, well, yeah. well, Brooke, I really appreciate you being vulnerable on the show today. We have to do a part two, please, because I've got so many more questions yeah. for you. But unfortunately, uh, my time has come to an end. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, have, I have to run because i got another meeting, unfortunately. But really no, appreciated good. speaking to you today and uh, really hope to do it again soon. So thank you so much for coming yeah. on Storybox. No problem. Hopefully, I mean, I've been trying to get, I've been trying to get to Australia for a while, so... I need to come out there. Well, if you're never ever in been. Sydney, let me know. And have you ever been to Sydney? No, I've never been to Australia. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you come to Sydney, let me know. And then I'll take you to all the great restaurants and cafes around this. You'll love it. I'd love it. I, uh, <laughs> I've been wanting to come for a long time and uh, I'm going to make it happen. I don't like this part because it means that sadly, we've come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, Please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs>